of your Bibles. Oh, I actually have time today. Great. I have time, and this message is shorter than last week's one. I had no time, so. Um, grab your Bibles. Um, you can turn to the book of Galatians, um, and I want to begin a new series on the book of Galatians. So we're going to go through the book of Galatians. Um, as a pastor, as a preacher, um, I am constantly thinking about and praying about what the Lord wants to say to us as a church. By the way, you know how Leslie was determined to go and things are falling out of her Bible and her Bible's falling apart. Emily leans over to me and she says, you know, they say if someone's Bible is falling apart, their life is not, typically. So you want Bibles that are falling apart. Why? Because you're in them all the time so that your lives aren't falling apart. Amen. So falling apart Bibles are good. Falling apart lives are not good. So. But as a preacher, pastor, I'm constantly asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to say to us? What, what does the church need right now? How many think that's a good thing for a pastor to do? Um, now, I've been in, um, we have been in full-time ministry for, for 16 years. That's a long time. By the way, next Sunday is our 19-year anniversary of being married. Yeah, wedding anniversary. So, yeah. Been in full-time ministry for 16 years. We've been married. Next Sunday will be uh, 19 years. Um, but in those 19 years, I have always done uh, topical series. I've always done topical series in, in pretty much in those 19 years. That's kind of the, I don't know what I was, you know, what, I, what my example was. So um, topical is, for example, when you just pick a subject and then you go anywhere in the Bible to find scriptures to kind of back up what you're saying and to make your points. Um, but last year I did I did two series that were more expository teachings. Um, the first one was we did uh, the, we didn't do whole books, but we did the Beatitudes, so Matthew five, um, Matthew five three through eleven, and um, and then we also did the Seven Churches of Revelation, which is Revelation uh, one two and three chapters one two three. And honestly, as a as a teacher as a pastor, I actually really enjoyed just going to the text and just preaching on the text. I don't know if you guys enjoyed hearing those messages, but I enjoy just kind of letting the Bible be the Bible and letting the text lead where it leads, right? And so, um, so I've been waiting. I've never actually, I've never done this in 16 years where I just took a book and just taught through it. So we're going to start small with the book of Galatians. That's the water. I'm going to dip my toes in the, in the waters of expository teaching, you know, and, uh, you know, I probably shouldn't jump headlong into, you know, lamentations just yet, you know. Imagine a year series on like Lamentations. Yeah, sure, there's good things in there, but it's not as juicy as Galatians, is it? You know. Hey, listen, this Bible has—it's uh, got a full meal in here, you know. But it's got some broccoli, you know. Broccoli's good for you, and it's got some cotton candy, you know. Cotton candy's delicious. Not as nutritious, but it's got the good stuff and it's got the nutritious stuff. It's got everything you need. Um, so we're going to do the book of Galatians, um, and we'll be here for probably about eight weeks. I know it's right around right around Resurrection Sunday. Easter. We'll be we'll be wrapping that up. I think, unless we just go super deep dive. I don't know. Um, okay. Again, we probably won't do a deep dive into every single verse like when I did um, the Seven Churches of Revelation. There were, there were sections that we kind of skimmed over, and there were sections we really emphasized on. So um, we probably won't do deep dive into every single verse, but we'll read every single verse. Um, but a few years ago, the Lord...
Lord, um, for those of you who've been around, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, a few years ago, the Lord kind of gave me a blueprint for how he wants us to build this church, build City Lights. And it came from Nehemiah chapter 3, and the, the gates of the city, um, I felt the Lord saying to me, these are prophetic gates, and I want you to build your church on, on what these gates symbolize. So, for example, the fish gate represents evangelism. The valley gate represents ministry to those coming through the low places. Um, the east gate represents um, Bible prophecy gate. And, and the, the fountain gate, the gifts and ministries of the Holy Spirit. Um, and then there's the water gate. How I many know water represents, in the Bible, water represents the word of God. And I want to I want to lead and preach to a word church. Like, I want to be word people, amen. I want to lead a church that are well-versed in the Bible. Bible literacy is, like, very, very important. How many know it's becoming more and more important as we're getting closer to the end of the age, right? One of the hallmarks of the end of the age, of the end times, is deception. You know what the, you know the deceiving thing about deception is? That it's deceiving. That's the deceiving thing about deception. A hallmark of the last days is deception. How many know when you have uh, young people on campus protesting for a terrorist organization in the world right now? Like they're deceived. Like there's deception going on up in this world. So what do we need? We need the Word of God. I'm going to lead a church that is well versed in the Word of God, understands the Word of God. All right. Why Galatians? Why Galatians? Okay, so today we'll do kind of a, um, not, we'll, we'll get into probably verse 1 through 4, and um, and then kind of an overview, but why Galatians? In the whole Bible, I would say there is no more concentrated scriptures to combat the religious drift toward legalism. There is a natural tendency of the human nature to drift towards form and into legalism. Um, religion um, is, you can use that in the positive or negative sense. In the positive sense, it's like, yes, we're religious or whatever. But really, I like to say we're not religious. We're in a relationship. Re- religion is man's obligation to God, but you and I should be in a living, breathing relationship with our Father in Heaven. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be in. And here's what, here's what Galatians does. Galatians is a is a compact um, way to inoculate you to legalism and religiosity. That's what you have here in the book of uh, in Galatians. How many, um, I won't have anyone raise hands because this is actually a very controversial subject, but how many know there is um, uh, inoculations, there's, there, there is uh, vaccinations, those kind of things. Very touchy subject the last few years. But historically, I think, historically, there's been some good ones like the polio vaccination. It's probably a good one, you know. Um, and then, as of recent, we have the booster shots. You know, everyone loves the booster shots, you know. Are you boosted? But listen, the book of Galatians is your booster shot against um, legalism and, and religiosity, man. Okay, so, um, amen, that's what, we, and that's what we need. You need, if you've been walking with the Lord for any season of time, or you're brand new Jesus, again, there's this natural tendency of the human heart to um, perform and to, and, to, and to view our relationship with God through our performance. Galatians, the book of Galatians is a power-packed way to set you free from religiosity. Okay. Uh, let me give a short overview of the book. Okay. This book, Galatians, is an epistle.
epistle. Everyone's the epistle. You feel like you just said a bad word. Okay, epistle. Sorry, sorry. No. Epistle. Um, epistles are not apostles' wives. Epistles are letters written by any early uh, apostles to Christians or to churches in, in the New Testament. Okay. Of the 27 books of our New Testament, there's 27 books in our New Testament, 21 of them are epistles. So um, just a little over three quarters of the uh, epistles, um, or of the, of the books in the New Testament are epistles, they're letters. Paul wrote most of them. Um, if you count the book of Hebrews, which you should, my wife and I have a running debate about whether Paul wrote uh, Hebrews. If you count the book of Hebrews, which you should, um, Paul, Paul, um, Paul wrote um, um, 14 books of the New Testament, 13 if you don't count Hebrews, of those 21 epistles. So um, many of them Paul wrote, and one of those Galatians in particular is one that, one that Paul wrote. Uh, Paul wrote this book sometime after his first missionary journey, around 48 AD. It's not definitive. Could have been a little bit later. Um, but if you think about this, 48 AD, this is 15 years after the resurrection. 15, just 15 years after the resurrection. And Paul had been converted for about 15 years. So sometime very soon after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, uh, sometime very soon after that, the, the Apostle Paul came to faith in the Lord Jesus. So about 15 years after his conversion, 15 years after the resurrection. And think about that. Imagine, you know, Paul wasn't a Christ follower until Christ had already ascended into heaven. But think about someone who had an eyewitness account of Jesus. I mean, Paul saw Jesus clearly like here in Jerusalem. And then, um, and, and then Paul, of course, wrote um, much of the New Testament. Okay. So 15 years after the resurrection, Galatians was, this is interesting to me, one of the first, if not the first, New Testament book that was written down. Okay, at first, the, the early apostles, they, they told the stories and they actually used their, their Hebrew scriptures and preached from those scriptures to demonstrate that Jesus is the Messiah. And then at some point, they're like, oh, we should probably write this down, <laughs> you know. And, um, and, and Galatians was actually one of the first books to, to be written, if not the first. It might be that one or perhaps first Thessalonians, but think about that. Um, it's kind of odd to me. I would imagine the, one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, with John um, being the first written, or Acts being written first. But here we have Galatians as possibly the very first book of our New Testament that, that was written down, um, if not the very first. I think that's interesting, because Paul, you know, he was like the last apostle um, that was in the New Testament that was converted. Um, there are you know, they're apostles, of course, but he was the last to be converted, but the first to get to write things down. And how many know that God um, used Paul's rich um, history and knowledge of the law? And, you know, Paul was a brilliant man. And God used that rich knowledge to extract from the Old Testament to demonstrate the validity of Jesus the Messiah. So it was it's amazing. In fact, I'll, I'm just, that's probably an encouragement to some of you, that God will use your, your former life. Paul was a persecutor of the church, right? He stood by, and, and, and before he became a believer, he was a uh, vigorous, vicious persecutor of Christians. He was committed to, to um, ending the way. He was, he was committed to ending this 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 thing that was breaking out, and then Jesus knocked them off of his, you know what, on the way to Damascus. And 
and changed his life. Okay, some of you didn't get that. Go read the King James Version, all right? <laughs> Got to go back to the KJV every once in a while. All right. Now, Galatia is not a specific city. Galatia is not a specific city, but a region. How many know that Paul wrote Ephesians to the church in Ephesus? That was one of the churches we, you know, we studied. Um, he wrote Colossians to the church in Colossae. But Gal- Galatia is not a city. Galatia is a region. In fact, I have a picture of How many of you, for example, 
Um, if you're here, you like spicy food. I like spicy food. I mean, I don't like spicy food, just so I know. Okay, some people don't like spicy food. It upsets some people. I like a little spice. Little spice is good. I mean, if you have that uh, hot sauce in your refrigerator right now, we put a hot sauce in your refrigerator. And you, what do you do? You take you take a little bit of that and you sprinkle it on your food. It's very easy to get to the cap comes off and you get too much on it. It's very easy for that to happen. How many know you don't just you know you don't just take it straight to the grill like you put it in the food, mix it around, get an even distribution. Okay. But Galatians is like just taking it straight from the bottle here. It's this potent dose of gospel truth. That's what Galatians is like. A couple of years ago, uh, my, my brother, who was living with us at the time, he, he brought home these chips called the, the One Chip Challenge. Have you guys ever heard of this? How many of you ever done the One Chip Challenge? Are many of you? Okay, I'm the only dummy. All right. Okay, I don't know about you, but it was, I knew immediately it was a mistake, you know. It was a bad idea. I knew it was a bad idea before, but I agreed to do it. And my daughter videotaped it. And I went and posted it on my social media just to be, you know, to let others see my misery and to learn from my bad example. Um, but this was too much. But this is like the book of Galatians, okay? And I have a, like a one-minute video. I edited it down a little bit to show you my suffer fest. So go ahead and roll that. Ready? Yep. Here we go. There's a difference between 
the work of sanctification, and that's by the grace of God too, by the way. The grace of God changes and transforms our life as we follow him day to day. But how many know to come to God? In the, in the original sense, like, you, you don't earn it, you don't deserve it. He takes us as we are. Amen? That's the way it is. And we need to remember that. But even that, even that sanctification process of becoming more and more like Jesus, that is also by the grace of God. That's also not by our good works. Amen? I love the case word here. What's the difference between, um, stri- you know, striving and seeking God and striving and, and rest? Um, that, is a, that was a great illustration of um, keeping the focus on Jesus. Because how many know that if you get me focused, you're getting eyes off of Jesus. And if you got your eyes off of Jesus, you're not, you're not standing in grace. Amen. Okay. Let's, uh, are you guys ready? All right. Verse, we're going to go to verse one. And I think we'll get to verse four today. Paul, an apostle, said, not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul immediately goes straight to the fact that his authority in speaking to them, his authority is not of human origins. He says, my authorization comes from the highest levels. He says, I'm sent, but not my people. He says, Jesus himself and God the Father has sent me. You'll see here later on, and if you read it in the book of later on in the book of Acts, you'll see that there was a confirmation of and an acknowledgement of Paul's ministry. And I think I think that um, you know the Bible says that Jesus grew in favor with both God and man. And it is important that that if God indeed has sent you that someone will probably recognize that, right? But the point that Paul is making here, he says, I didn't get this, I didn't get this revelation, and I'm not sent by humans. I'm actually sent by God himself. That's how he's defending his letter here to them. And I just want to encourage you, church, that if you know you're walking in the will of God, and you know you're doing what he has authorized you to do, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. Do what the Lord has told you to do. Amen. Verse 2. He says, and to all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Again, Paul usually has a more fluffy and lengthy introduction as well as a longer final um, uh, greetings. But in Galatians, he gets right to the point. It is a gospel-concentrated truth coming your way. He skips that fluffy introduction and gets right down to business. He doesn't. He mentions that there are brothers and sisters with him wherever he is, but neglects to say where he's writing this letter from. So we don't know exactly where Paul was when he wrote Galatians, as, as he had made that plain in some of the other letters. Um, some theorized it was Ephesus or uh, Corinth, but we don't really go. But we don't really know. But what I do want you to notice, because we don't know where he wrote it, is notice the urgency. There's some urgency in Paul to like, I just need to get the point and get this heresy crushed. Amen. Okay. Verse three, he says this: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the source of our grace. That is the source of our peace. Another usage of another way to interpret the word um, from the Greek word grace is favor. So it's the Greek word uh, charis. Um, you could say verse 3 like this. Favor and shalom to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How I know that when we're in Christ Jesus, we, we are favored. You are the favored one. And that favor should overflow to peace. Shalom. It should, it should, you should have abundant peace in your life because of the favor of God on your life. That should be what you feel. Verse 4. Watch this. 
grace and peace to you from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Everyone say rescue. Rescue. I love this verse. Is that encouraging? He came to rescue us from our sins. Jesus came to rescue us. The realization that we actually need to be rescued, I want to tell you, is a divine revelation. The, the revelation that you're walking through life and like, I'm in need of being rescued. I'm lost. I'm separated from God. That is actually the grace of God moving upon the human heart to set them up for salvation. And not everyone walks around with the sense that like, I need rescued. I need saved. And um, how many know the song? I like I love the song Amazing Grace. What a beautiful song. It says this. Um, it, one of the lines says, was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. So this sense when we when we come, when we came to Jesus, um, anyone who came to Jesus came this way. They had to realize I'm lost. I'm separated. I'm aware of my fallen nature. I'm aware of my sin. They came with that, and then when they received the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was like, "In grace, my fears relieved. I'm going to be with Him forever. I'm, I'm forgiven." He came to rescue us from our sins and from this present evil age. In order to be saved, and by the way, for people that you're praying for to be saved, this is a divine revelation. You can actually pray them, pray for them for Lord, show them they're lost. Show them they're completely separated from you. And then God showed them the answer that, the, that their love and mercy and forgiveness and grace was right there. To, to, I think God, he doesn't want us to feel separated and lost forever. Just long enough to receive his grace and mercy. We have to have that revelation, that realization, at least for a moment. One of the greatest tactics of the enemy is to get the world to think that they don't need saved. You're fine the way you are. Just keep going. You're a good person. You've, you've helped someone one time. And your good's kind of outweighing your bad, right? But how many know that the standard that the Bible outlines for us to be right with God, the standard isn't that your good outweighs your bad. The standard is actually perfection. And uh, how many of you are perfect, perfect? None of us, right? We have to have this revelation that we've been saved from something for something. Okay? That is a divine revelation that every person who comes to faith has to have. We've been saved from something for something, from our sins, from this present evil world, for relationship with the living God. It says in, in uh, the, I think it's the Gospel of John, that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, right? To know God and have a relationship with Him. That is what eternal life is. And that trajectory, how many of that trajectory begins now in this present world? And then when we die, that this just death is just a, a changing of location, and that trajectory continues. That relationship continues on for eternity. How many of you? <laughs> we need to know our destiny to be saved. How many of you ever watched um, Florida Man videos? Florida, you know, I'm talking about Florida Man. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Then my gift to you today is that you go find Florida Man videos. Um, I like Florida. It's a great, it's a great state. And there's some crazy people down there, too. So it's, it's a good freedom-loving state. You know, I like Florida. But there's some crazy things that happen in Florida. So you, know, you see different things that people do in Florida. And so um, I want to play a video. 
sure he understands how desperate the situation is is that he is in. He is in desperate need of needing saved. Um, his life is literally at risk. Um, and I don't think he understands it fully. So go ahead and go ahead and roll that video. Joey! Joey, there's a guy on it! I swear to God! Straight ahead! Joey, what are you doing? Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. That is God's heart for this world. That is God's heart for humanity, that everyone come to repentance. You know, these these uh, epistles and, and, and these books in the New Testament, they began writing these because it was obvious, it seemed obvious to the early Christians and the followers that Jesus was going to come back, they thought, in their day. Like, they were waiting for him to come back. And so Paul starts writing these encouraging letters because they had loved ones who started dying in the Lord, and they're like, wait, Jesus is going to come back, and I have a loved one who's in the Lord, who's died, and Paul's encouraging them, hey, it's okay because God will, 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 um, will take those who've died in him with him, you know, he's assuring them. Peter's saying, hey, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness, he's not come back, but he's not slow in keeping his promises, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful that he could come back. 2,000 years ago, because I wouldn't have had a chance to be born and to follow him and fulfill the will of God for my life. The Bible says, doesn't have to perish, but everyone to come to the saving knowledge, the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you, just if we could leave with that one truth, it would be good for all of us. He saw us in need of being rescued. It was his will that we be rescued. And he loved us too much to leave us unrescued. Therefore, God gave for God's so love that he gave. I mean, a love gives. Amen, amen. Let me conclude with this. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 2, verses 17. The Pharisees were kind of questioning him and, and uh, challenging him. And he said this. Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Those who realize they're sinners, those are the ones I've come to call. The ones who think they're righteous, they're not eligible to receive the grace of God because they think they're righteous. I love that Jesus essentially paints a picture here of two groups of people in the world. He's like, okay, there's two groups of people. There's the righteous and there's sinners. Let me ask you a question. Um, how many people were in the sinners group. All of them. Right? How many people were in the righteous group? One. There was one person in the righteous group and everyone else in the sinners group. And Jesus simply said, I did not come to call the righteous but the sinners. In other words, Jesus was saying, I didn't come for myself. I came for everyone else. I came to save that which was lost. He's already righteous. He was the one person standing in the righteous group. How many know that you can get in that righteous group, and there's one way into that righteous group, and it's in Christ, because Christ is in that righteous group. And if you're in him, you're in that righteous group. But how do you do that? You have to acknowledge being separated from God. You have to acknowledge your sinner so that you can receive the grace of God. The gift of knowing your loss leads to um, needing